If you want to take out your Bibles and turn over to Matthew chapter 17, Matthew's account of the transfiguration, which also Mark and Luke tell us about, and I'm going to make some references to them today. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, you're going to find the text on page 829. Now, I want to, I want to make it clear as we enter into today's message, which is actually the beginning of a series here for Easter entitled Seismic Shift or Shifts, that the transfiguration, as we read about it here in Matthew or over in Mark 9 or Luke chapter 9, is clearly about two things. Biblically, the, the, the message that God is trying to consent through to us and to the disciples is that Jesus isn't just a prophet. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a giver of a new law. Those are the roles of Moses and Elijah that he meets with. But that Jesus is the Son of God. He is God in human flesh. He's here for us. He's confirming everything that they learned about, you know, that was proclaimed about him in the Old Testament, all the stuff that went with the incarnation and the virgin birth. All of that is, is showing up. Just, you know, if you read over in the Old Testament, Moses, when he encountered God, his face began to glow because God was so bright that just in the reflection from it, it's, it's kind of like we get a sunburn when we go out in the sun, right? Well, you know, Jesus has got that glory showing from the inside out. And it's clearly a message to the disciples that Jesus really is the Son of God. Secondly, the purpose of this encounter is, to, is literally to put a, a seal of approval, a, an exclamation point on the fact that everything that is about to happen in the life of Christ the, the stuff that we know as the events of Holy Week is exactly God's will. It doesn't come out quite as clear here, but if you go over to Luke's account, he says that when Moses and Elijah and Jesus were talking, they were talking about the exodus of Jesus and all that was about to happen at Jerusalem. And so it's, it's, it's a message to the disciples and through them to us that the, the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ is exactly God's plan. Okay, That's what this message is all about. This, the, this event is all about. I think as we look into it, though, it suggests to us, and I'm going to suggest this as well of the crucifixion and of the resurrection, that if we, if we it, indica- it, it illustrates for us that if we make some very simple spiritual changes, at the foundation level of our lives, the, the seismic waves that can be released through our lives can be incredibly powerful. I mean, seismic activity has been all in the news lately, hasn't it? I mean, you know, we're standing on moving ground. We don't feel it, but down below us, maybe five miles, maybe ten, maybe a hundred miles, the ground is moving. And usually it moves past one another, each other without a lot of friction. But every once in a while, that friction gets so intense that it actually stops the movement and, it, and the energy builds up and builds up and builds up until it just pushes it by and we get earthquakes. These, this, this stoppage of, and I'm no geologist and I don't want to be a geologist, so if you know a lot more about this, just have pity on me while I try to explain this, all right? You know, the, it kind of gets where it's kind of button heads and it can't move and finally there's enough pressure on it that just kind of pops and, and goes by and, and, and the ground doesn't move a whole lot. But as, those, as that seismic energy is released, those seismic waves, it can create tremendous destruction because of how powerful it is. We see that in Haiti. We see that 
to a lesser degree in Chile, much, mostly because the, the, the seismic activity occurred so much deeper in the ground. But even that activity created concerns thousands of miles away in Hawaii because they were afraid of these tsunamic waves that were going to come flashing at the islands. I want to tell you that I think one of the truths that we need to understand about our lives is that little shifts way down in the bedrock of our lives, of our character, of our worldview, of our, our foundations, little changes there have the potential for tremendous positive or negative repercussions on the surface of our lives. And I'm going to suggest to you today, out of this event of the transfiguration and the events that followed, three simple shifts. And you can just pick one. You don't have to pick all three, but, but, but three simple shifts that if you implement them at a foundational level of your lives, they're going to unleash a fresh wave of God's spiritual seismic activity in your lives that, that will just really will boggle your minds. So... For your introductory statement there, the small shifts in the bedrock of our spiritual lives can release powerful spiritual energy throughout our entire lives. Here's the the shifts that I want to share with you today, okay? If we can get ourselves to where we listen to God and then go do, instead of going to do and then come back and saying, Lord, how do I fix this? It can change our lives radically. Now, let that just sink in for a minute. If we can get to a place where we listen to God, we hear God speak, and then we go do. Instead of going out and doing everything, and then come back and say, Lord, how do I fix this mess that I've created? God, I need to hear from you now. You know, this, this emerges out of the text in a couple different places. The first is the, the disciples' participation. Peter, James, and John's in this transfiguration event. If you read through Luke's account, they were up with Jesus on the mountain, and a precursor to what's going to happen in Gethsemane on the final night of Jesus' life, Jesus is praying, and they fall asleep. When they awaken, what they see is this blinding light, and they're, and they're startled. And the scripture says, Peter doesn't know what to do. So instead of just listening, Peter just blurts out. He just got, he's got to do something. Lord, it's great that we're here. We can, build some, we can build some huts. We'll put up some tents so you and Moses and Elijah can stay, and we can, we can have a party up here on the mountaintop for a while. You know, and, and immediately that moment, the cloud descends, indicating the presence of God. And it, and it probably incorporates Moses and Elijah and Jesus. Well, it probably doesn't incorporate Peter, James, and John. But they see this cloud descend, and, and a voice speaks to them from the cloud. This is my son, my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. Just listen to him. And once you've listened, you can go do and the scripture says that they, were, they fell on their faces and they were fearful at the voice. And Jesus came over and touched them and raised them up saying, don't be afraid. Because when we listen to God and then act, we have nothing to fear. How much in my life, how much in your life would be changed if we had just listened to God first and then acted? It's powerful stuff when you think about how it might have changed your family of origin if people had listened to God first and then acted. You might think about how it could change your present family if you were just listening to God and then acting. Your life trajectory or your purpose, your marriage, your career, your financial lives, you know, with all the impulse buys that we have a tendency to do. And then we say, why did I ever do this? And then, and we still make it the payments on everything. It's just, you know, and, and we, and we do this all the time. We're so like Peter. We want to leap first and then ask God for light as to where we're going to land instead of letting God give us light and then leaping. We have this new 
phenomenon in our society today is people hit rock bottom as they arrive at the top. People who are at the pinnacle of everything that they pursued find their lives incredibly empty and broken and sorrowful. Right now, as we prepare for Easter, what a wonderful time for us just to step back and say, what has God said to me that I'm not doing? What has God said to me that I'm not doing? And, and if we will just listen and then do, it will release this incredible movement of God in our lives. Whether that word is to believe, whether that word is to repent, whether that word is to trust or whether it's to forgive, whether it's to serve or to love or to give, whether it's to come up with a fresh appreciation of the abhorrence of sin, God says, listen, and then act. Second reality, second shift that I see in this text that, that might be helpful for you to implement, helpful for me to implement in the spiritual journey is the idea of expanding your faith. Just, just let your faith at a bedrock level grow a little bit and see what that does across your life as it releases the seismic activity of God in your life. You know, we read this account in, in, in Matthew 17 and, and it comes out a little bit more clearly in a couple of other places, the dynamic that's going on in, in, in Mark 9 and in Luke 9. But Jesus has been up on the mountaintop with the disciples. And transfiguration. He comes down the you know, they, they want to act instead of listen. You know, he, he, he's revealed to them that, you know what, people have been doing this forever. You know, they, they've been, they did this to the prophets, they acted because they didn't want to listen. And, and even now, Elijah's come in the form of John the Baptist, and he's been rejected. They didn't do anything that he told them to, and they've just done away with him. And, and so, as he arrives at the bottom, what does he encounter? It's a mob scene. This large crowd has gathered around the disciples and this father. This father has come to the disciples who have already been out on mission, have already healed people, have already cast out demons. They've done all this stuff. You know? and, and, and he brings his son, who he's just distraught over. He brings his son to the disciples. Probably disappointed that he didn't find Jesus there when he got there. But he brings his son to his disciples and he says, you've got to do something for him. Can you heal him? And you can, just, you can just see the disciples, you know, it's probably like, you know, okay, bring him over here, have him kneel down, we'll lay hands on him, they pray over him, and they get up and nothing happens. You know, and they're like, all right, huddle up. Why didn't this work? What are we going to do next? Da, da, da. And, no, and nothing happens. He stays possessed by this demon, which gives him like epileptic type of ex experiences where he just has these seizures where he can't move. And, and at times it, his father says it throws him into the water where he could drown or throws him into the fire where he could be burned to death. And it's just nasty stuff. Nothing can happen. When Jesus arrives, the father says, you got, you got to help me, you know? And what does Jesus say? He says, you unbelieving and perverse generation, you unbelieving and rebellious generation, depending upon which translation you're reading. Some of the, tr the, the, the accounts of this just have the idea of you unbelieving generation. Others have include the idea of unbelieving and the rebellious or perverse generation. What is Jesus getting at there? And, and, and who is he talking to? Is he talking to the disciples? Well, he's going to chastise them a little bit for the littleness of their faith. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But I think he's really talking about to the crowd that's around them. They've shown up to see something they can go home and tell people about. Hey, man, I want to tell you what happened. I followed this guy who was going to get his son healed. And, man, the healing took place. It was cool. You know, you should have bought tickets. They're looking for wonders. And Jesus says, you know what? You're looking for wonders and you've missed all the signs that the presence of God, the kingdom of God is with you. Still happens to us today. Still does. 
We, we look and say, God, you know, I got this problem in my life. You haven't done anything about it. Where's the wonder? Instead of replaying the tape of all the signs where God has proved his faithfulness, his mercy, his forgiveness, his compassion, and et cetera, in our lives. Jesus continues the dialogue with his dad. He, he's, got, he's got mercy on his, his father, and he, and he kind of pulls him aside. He says, how long has this been happening to your son? His son says, well, you know, as long as I can remember, since the time he was a little kid. He said, you know, he said, if you can, can you heal him? This is over in, in Luke's account, I believe. He says, you know, or Mark's account. If you can, would you heal him? And Jesus says, if you can, if I can, what do you mean if I can? If you believe, all things are possible. And the father looks back to him and he replaying the tape of all the things that he's tried over the years to get his son healed, all the, 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 the probably all the, the, the Sabbaths he's observed and the offerings he's made and the, and the synagogues that he's been to and the pro, you know, the supposedly prophets and even Jesus says, he's replying all that stuff and he says, man, he said, I believe, but help my unbelief. I'm at a point where I'm just not sure it's going to happen anymore. And Jesus says, if you believe, all things are possible. With faith, all things are possible. There's this, this tremendous cry for us to step off our faith a little bit, to expand our faith. And when we do it, it releases God's potential in our lives to achieve everything that if we're really serious with ourselves, we want. Peace, harmony, joy, contentment, great relationships, the ability to sleep well at night because we know our conscience is clean because we're walking with God. There's a wonderful opportunity for us at Easter to expand our faith, to go back and review God's signs in our lives of his power, of his wisdom, and of his compassion, of his goodness. I challenge you this Easter to expand your faith. One other option that can create seismic shifts in our lives. For some of us, it's going to be going, just go back and say, you know what, God's spoken to me, and I just need to do. For others of us, it's going to be saying, you know what, I've, I've kept God kind of bottled up on a shelf. I'm not sure he can really do all this stuff. And so I, I'm just going to go back and, and look at all the faithfulness of God starting from his word in Genesis 1 and through all the tape of my own life. I'm just going to let my faith expand a little bit. But there's one last shift that might be fruitful for us to implement at the bedrock level of our spiritual lives. And that's to become a person of prayer. A person of prayer. Not people who pray, but a person of prayer. When this whole event is over, the disciples are baffled. You know, Jesus has had this encounter with the crowd. He's healed. He's dealt with the, the father and he's healed the son. And it says, and, and Jesus, you know, laid hands on him and the demon came out of him. And he, and he took his son and he gave him back to his father. And what a joyous sight it must have been to watch this father and this son walk away, headed home, both healthy and ready to move forward into a new phase of their lives. And Jesus draws aside and he's into the house with his disciples. And they come to Jesus and they say, you know, when we were out on mission when you sent us, we could do all this stuff. Why didn't it work? Why couldn't we cast out this demon? And Jesus' response to them says, this kind can only come out by prayer. Prayer is a powerful force in our lives. But the conviction that I have on my heart today is that many of us, myself included, often are people who pray instead of people of prayer. And I know that may sound... we. We're the kind of people who, who we get motivated to pray when we see crisis in our own lives or the lives of other people. We're, we're willing to get on our knees when, when somebody's being rushed to an ER or, or there's, a, you know, there's a, people are out of work or there's financial or relationship crisis happening. People, we're willing to do all that kind of stuff. We're willing to be people who pray. But when it really comes down to being people of prayer, we don't do so well. 
And I want to tell you, I think one of the fundamental shifts that we can make in our lives is to become people. Just not a person who prays, but to be a person of prayer. Not just to be praying about life circumstances and our jobs and our health and all those kinds of things, which are all very important, but to be people of prayer. And how would I suggest to you some of the changes that are wrought in that is, is to, you know, in, in one of the accounts, Jesus goes right out of this and the disciples are debating who's going to be the greatest. What's interesting is that probably what happened is after this, the whole thing, Peter and James and John just saying, I got to tell you what happened on top of the mountain. I mean, Jesus was glowing from the inside out. You know, and, and, and they all get to, something big's about ready to happen. So what pops into their mind is the spiritual creatures that they are. Who's going to have the most power when the kingdom happens? And Jesus pulls them aside you know, and says, you know, you've got to accept a child like this. You've got to be ready to serve the least of them. I've I got to tell you, where, where is the domination in our prayer lives where we're asking, God, how do I be a conduit of your grace into the lives of other people? When was the last time you woke up in the middle of the night and got out of bed and got on your knees because you were asking, God, show me how to serve people better than I do today. God, how can I be a, a more powerful instrument of grace in the lives of others? God, how can I be victorious in the spiritual warfare that's a part of everyday life when we encounter the types that can only come out by prayer? When was the last time we were kept awake at night asking ourselves prayerfully, do I see all of the activity of God around me? And am I willing to engage it? I mean, those are the kinds of things that are at the, the heart of being a person of prayer. It's not about the stuff that's happening in our lives. It's about the stuff of who we are and how, who God wants us to be. And I think if we will do any one of these three, of listening and then doing, of expanding our faith or, or moving to be people of prayer, God will let loose the seismic spiritual waves in our lives that will create the experience that we've always expected to have with the God of the universe who stepped into the world in a form of a small child and stepped out of this world as a full-grown man with, hand, with holes in his hands and whip marks across his back. I'm burdened today for myself and for you and for Hope Chapel. I've already kind of confessed to you that I, I don't really see myself in many ways as the person of prayer that I need to be. I'm concerned a little bit about Hope Chapel because I, I think we're in some ways we're, we're doing what we heard long ago rather than doing what God has just said to us. And that's not all bad, but I do think there's some next steps that we need to be ready to take as a congregation, and we need to be listening. I'm also burdened by the fact that I think that we are a church that prays, but really not a church of prayer. You know, as we get ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper, which is at the heart and soul of what Jesus and Moses and Elijah talked about that night, that Jesus had come to be the exodus for those who were in bondage to sin, to being free in Christ through his death on the cross. It's intended to create a seismic shift in our lives. Are we ready and open to that seismic shift, which starts with the step of faith? Let's pray together for just a minute. Confessionally, Father, as we read your word, there are just so many things that confront us over and over again about what we should be doing, about who we're supposed to be. And sometimes, Father, that can be so overwhelming and so comprehensive, it can actually create a lack of focus in our spiritual journey. God, I'm grateful for the reminders today that just even simple things that we do, the very core level of who we are and what we are about, can unleash all that you hope and intend for us, the reason why you created us and recreated us in Jesus Christ. God, all of us here today have reasons to be skeptical, 
Perhaps we've trusted in you for something and it just didn't happen the way we expected. There's been people around us who have been important to us who have let us down. God, ways in which we trusted you and then life seemed to get harder rather than easier. And our faith has contracted and we've stopped listening. When we've begun talking to ourselves instead of praying to you. Father, this morning, by your spirit, by the responsiveness of our own hearts, let us take a step forward. Let us release a seismic shift in our lives by listening to you, by letting our faith grow, and by talking to you about who we're really supposed to be and what we're really supposed to do. And God, we thank you for what's going to happen as we do that sincerely. In the name of Christ, amen. Can I ask you just to sit prayerfully, maybe even with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, and those who are going to come help serve the Lord's Supper come up and just, just spend a moment reflecting.